Welcome. I'm laughing at myself right now because I um, I just recorded this show without pushing record. So does that does that tell you anything about oh, how my day's going? Yeah, none of these shows are scripted. You're you're listening to the Human Resource here at. ICRC TV in Cincinnati, Ohio. My name is Pandy, and I want to welcome you. We're not always disorganized, but we do have a lot of fun here. Yeah, my, my producer's going to just laugh. Um, this is an interesting topic today, and I, I want to go about it you know, gently because not all of you are going to have to deal with this kind of situation, and yet maybe you will. And if not today, tomorrow sometime sometime down down in your career but we're going to talk about individuals who go out on medical leave and then return now i'm sure that all of you have been trained enough to say look if whether it's a work related injury whether it's not a work related injury if they're going to return they need to have some kind of a medical release form something telling us that they can return to normal duties. And those are key words, normal duties. We want to make sure that there aren't any restrictions. We want to make sure that they're going to be safe in their position. And many times, that's going to require essential work functions. Now, we've talked about that on the show. Essential work functions are truly the most basic aspects of that job and what that individual must be able to do to be successful at the job. Now, um, some of you already have those established, and if not, a workers' comp claim, a short-term disability claim, um, even major surgery, when individuals are not quite 100% when they want to return, they're, the, the medical provider is going to ask for, or your insurance company is going to ask for essential work functions. Well, I've got a case here where the EEOC went against all-state beverage in a situation where a gentleman went out on a medical leave, non-work-related, and then wanted to return. And he brought restrictions back to the employer. Now, restrictions are common. You know, it doesn't mean that it's forever. But for today, at this moment, a medical provider has, has stated this individual can return to work with these limitations. Now, if you're in the state of Ohio where uh, workers' comp is state-sponsored, you offer light duty. So the employers in Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, they're all very accustomed to light duty. They get it. Let's get this person back to work. Let's get them productive. And as those restrictions or limitations disappear, we'll keep adding to the job or we'll be able to move them back into their normal position. Light duty keeps them happy, keeps them on payroll, but it does also acknowledge that we can't necessarily put them in the other position because it's not safe for them. We don't want them to re-injure themselves. Well, in this particular case, this individual brings in the restrictions, and the restrictions are accepted, 
uh, it was against lifting over 40 pounds and pushing carts loaded of 100 pounds or more. And the company believed they could work with those restrictions. But eventually, the company decided, you know what? We, we want a fitness for duty certification. And the individual said, wait a minute, I, why do I need that? I'm already under a doctor's care. I'm already working with the restrictions. Why, why do you need this other uh, medical certification? And the sad part is that as the EEOC decided to investigate this, because they eventually terminated him, they eventually terminated him because he didn't provide the fitness for duty back. Now, remember, he had already turned in all these other medical paperwork. But because he didn't turn the other medical certification form in uh, for fitness for duty, they terminated him. He went to the EOC, and they suddenly realized, wait a minute, the, the restrictions did not substantially limit him from doing his work. In fact, the limitations were not even considered part of the essential work functions when they really dug down and reviewed what that job was. Now, essential work functions really need to be created and identified by the people on the floor, the people who supervise that area. They train that job. They know what's actually happening in that role. An HR person really shouldn't be creating essential work functions unless they are that actively involved and knowledgeable of the position. And in this particular case, the EEOC and the courts actually found that what was listed in the essential work functions weren't actually essential work functions and, and had such a little impact that what they were trying to prevent him from doing was too much. The company itself, by asking for the fitness for duty certification, was labeling this gentleman as being disabled and was already discriminating against him. Now, obviously, this goes on and the company loses their situation. But I've got another really great, really great case. This is years old, but I still keep it in my ADA uh, training simply because, again, HR took too much authority and actually got the company in trouble with this particular case. This is uh, Richard Crummy versus Enterprise Minnesota. It's about a gentleman who, in passing, in, in just talking with his, his colleagues, mentions he has dyslexia. And he mentions that, you know, I, I may take a little extra time in reading. I, I do have this issue, but yeah, I, I do just fine. I do good. And, and as you keep going through the the case, you find out that he his performance was just stellar. He never once went to his supervisor and asked for a change in his work based on a disability or based on his dyslexia. Now, he asked if he could read a little slower, but reading was not the majority or the primary aspect of his job. He was a process engineer. And his performance reviews were reflecting every bit of the praise that his supervisor had for him. Well, this went along fine. I mean, he seemed to get along really well with his job until an HR person stepped in and decided, 
oh, he has dyslexia. Oh, well, I need to talk to him about that disability. And again, what disability? It gets so complicated that the, the case goes on to say that it eventually literally prevented him from getting promoted or moved to another position because of this presumed disability. I'm trying really hard to be nice as I say this, but as HR, we've got to be very, very careful that we don't exert more authority than we were ever intended to have. We've got to be very careful that we're not trying to fill the role of a medical provider because we were not, at least the HR people I know, have never been to medical school, do not have medical degrees, and do not necessarily consider themselves authorities to the point where you can tell somebody they have a disability. The Americans with Disabilities Act and the EEOC take this stuff very seriously. And they expect HR and the representatives of a company to protect individuals who might or who possibly have disabilities, not to go out there and earmark or label or designate individuals as disabled. If you have someone who seems to be off and you think there might be some underlying reason, use the four magic words of HR and approach it so that it looks more like you're helping versus attacking. Nobody wants someone coming to them and saying, oh, you're disabled. I just know you're disabled, so we're going to have to put you over here. We're not going to allow you to go over there. Instead, if you think someone's possibly off, the best thing you can do is go over and say, hey, I noticed you've been calling in sick uh, frequently. Maybe um, I noticed that uh, you haven't uh, been overly energetic lately and you just don't seem yourself. Is there anything I can help you with? We talked about this. I did a whole podcast on the four magic words. And think about what those words would have done for this HR person. If she had gone to this individual and instead of saying, oh, let's discuss this disability you have. I, I really want to know more about this disability you have. What if she had just said, hey, uh, I, I saw or heard that uh, you may have dyslexia. Just want to make sure everything's going well. Is there anything I can help you with? Are you feeling comfortable with your work? Do you, do you feel safe? What, what if she had approached it that way? What if she had, when the promotion was possible, what if she had gone to him and said, hey, you applied for that job. Let's talk about that. Here's what's required. Can you demonstrate that you can do those things? Help me understand why you feel you're appropriate for this. And let's, let's see how this, how this matches up. Instead of saying, oh, no, no, we, we can't have anybody with dyslexia in this, in this role. No, no, we're not. He's not even considered. Look, I know you guys mean well, and I'm not saying that any of you have done this, but in these cases, learn from these people. 
learn from these experiences. I spent hours and hours reading this stuff because every little bit helps us understand if we can learn from each other, it prevents us from getting into the same situations as they each did. And you and I both know that when the EEOC gets involved, it is not a happy situation for anyone. So if you're in HR or if you're filling that HR role, stay in HR. Don't try to be a doctor. Don't try to be the medical provider. And don't assume. Ask. My name's Pandy. You've been listening to The Human Resource.